This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined today by the host of our daily Play Like a Jet podcast, Scott Mason, to talk everything New York Jets and NFL draft before the big night and big weekend finally gets here. Also to give you an overall preview of the type of content we're going to have in these coming days, uh, both on this feed, on Scott's feed, and on our premium subscription, Badlands feed. Scott, how you doing? I'm good, Joe. I'm just practicing some social distancing as we speak. I'm out for a little walk where nobody is anywhere within what appears to be 50 miles of me. So getting some fresh air, talking some Jets with you. So as a quick reminder, as always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. If you have not yet, turn on the jets.podbean.com. For our premium ad-free subscription podcast hosted by myself and Connor Rogers, we had our mega draft preview drop a few days ago, and we will have draft grades dropping next week. On this feed, there will be instant reaction to each day of the draft for the Jets and then sort of a larger roundup show on Sunday, so make sure you're refreshing that feed every day. Uh, And on Scott's feed, there will undoubtedly be daily content, as there always is. So now that we're a day out, we want to count down some of the things that we are the most curious about, uh, most looking forward to, most concerned about uh, as it pertains to the Jets and this NFL draft, which feels like it's been a hundred years in, in the making. It's it's always that we get to this part of the process. It feels like you've been waiting for the draft forever. So as it stands now, Scott, you've been a Jet fan for a long time. What's your biggest fear for the Jets this weekend? My biggest fear of this... <laughs> I guess my biggest fear is that they're not going to come away with an offensive lineman with that 11th pick. I think they have to do that. And I know that Connor talked about this on the Badlands show this past week. If it takes a third rounder, say their own third rounder, 79, to jump up ahead of the Browns or wherever it is they need to go to get the guy that they want, whoever that ends up being, I think they need to do that. So I'm nervous that they're going to miss out on the top four linemen and then they're going to be in a spot where they either have to pick a receiver. And I know everybody loves the receivers and they're all good. Don't get me wrong. Jerry Judy is going to be really good. So is CeeDee Lamb and so is Henry Ruggs. But you've said this yourself many times before. Wide receiver is a very replaceable position. This is a draft that has a ton of, of great wide receivers. I mean, Daniel Jeremiah has 18 of the top 100 on his big board at wide receiver, 27 wide receivers graded third round or better. I just don't see the value in that. And if they get stuck at number 11 with no tackle to take, I guess they'd either have to trade down for a not so great package or draft one of those receivers. So it's not the end of the world because who wouldn't want to have somebody like Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, but I'm definitely nervous that they're not going to land one of those tackles. I just don't want to see them go defense. I just don't care. I literally don't <laughs> care. I don't want to see them take a defensive player, even in round two. I'm, I'm done with defensive additions with the premium picks. 
I've watched enough of it the past nine years. I wrote a whole article about it today about all the all the statistics pointing to the priority of offense over defense and the Jets' comical lack of investment in offensive resources. One offensive pick in the first round in the past ten years. Four in the past five drafts selected before the fourth round, three of whom are out of the NFL already. It is time to address offense early and often. I am still optimistic that they will get one of these four tackles at 11. I'm trying to maybe talk myself through and into it. Um, Moving past round one, is there a name at receiver that you have particularly circled out of all the conversations that you have uh, who are like the main names that you think are most likely to end up with the Jets? Uh, because that has kind of been sort of this like wide net group where every Jet fan is kind of just picking like their favorite of these 12 guys who could go between round two and round three. Who are the t- Who is the team do you think most likely to actually add in this day two window? It's an interesting question, Joe, because there are so many receivers in this draft. So like you said, it kind of depends on what it is they want. I know they want to add some speed, so it depends on who's available at 48 and then again at 68 and 79. I know you've had enough of defense, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Jets went defense in round two if a really good corner is available. I think that you're looking at guys like Jalen Ragor if he's available at 48. Beyond that, it's interesting because the one name that a lot of people have talked about is Van Jefferson. And the question becomes, is the fact that his father, the wide receivers coach, a plus or a minus in terms of whether or not the Jets would want to take him? Because it's very possible that Joe Douglas may look at it as, well, he's a talented kid, but I don't want to bring him in here to be coached by his father. And then especially, I know you and Connor talked about this, what if Gase gets fired and Sean Jefferson is gone after a year or two. Now the kid's still here. You create a really awkward situation. That said, I think Van Jefferson is somebody to keep your eye on because of that connection and because of the fact that I think he's a really talented wide receiver. I know he's a little older, but the bottom line is, Joe, and you're a former wide receiver yourself, so you know this. If you can run really good routes you are going to be successful in the NFL. Now, you may not necessarily be an elite player, but if you can get a guy at, say, 79 who can run really great routes, he's going to get open and he's going to make an impact, and he's probably going to make an impact day one. So I think that's a guy to really keep your eye on. I think Van Jefferson's a real possibility, and I think he would make a lot of sense. Like I said, Ragor, if he slips to, say, 48, there are other speedy options, too. You could look at a guy like LaVisca Chenault. Adam Gase loves guys that can get yards after the catch, and Chenault can certainly do that. He's been erratic at Colorado, and he's had injuries pile up. But, man, when he gets the ball in his hands, he just flies. So those guys are possibilities. And then if you look at someone like Antonio Gibson, he's sort of a wide receiver running back hybrid, I guess. But he's somebody that could really appeal to Gase because I think – he could be two birds, one stone, because we know that they're going to be looking to most likely move on from Le'Veon Bell after 2020, and either way, they need speed there, and they need somebody who can be a receiving threat for Darnold. So I would say, just off the top of my head, those are a couple of names to watch for. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens on that day two because I do hope the Jets double dip at receiver. Maybe it doesn't end up being you know across round two and three. Maybe it's like round two and round four or something like that. But I do hope they take at least two swings at that position throughout this draft. Jefferson is someone I kind of go back and forth on. Uh, I think, like you said, the positives in the route tree. I also think there are some benefits to growing up the son of a guy who played in the NFL. I think you get a certain feel for you know, what life is like around the game. I generally don't love older prospects. I do also worry about some of the injury stuff. And again, Sean Jefferson not even being here next year. But there's such a wealth of different options in day two that it's almost impossible uh, to see them not, you know, getting a couple additions that fans are going to be excited about at receiver. Now, we've already started to see some of the insanity of this week break through Rob Gronkowski out of retirement, traded to the Bucks. Uh, we have the Leonard Fournette trade rumors. Uh, we know that Trent Williams is still out there. I have a feeling this is going to be a super crazy active week for trades. And the top line question is, are the Jets going to be involved in that with Jamal Adams? Because now there's rumors about this swirling again. And I would still say it's more likely than not he's, he is here. But I would say there is definitely a better than 0% chance he's going to get traded. So uh, it is something to keep them, keep an eye on. There's something here with the relationship and how much are the Jets going to pay and go above and beyond to pay to keep him here long term. Does he want to be here long term? Could the Jet? What kind of package are the Jets looking at if they did trade him? And could that package potentially transform their offense if they hold it right? I don't know. And then even separate of Adams, could they do some maneuverings on day two or day three? Uh, is there some other veterans that maybe they give up a day three pick for? Do they look to move some guys on their roster for future draft picks if the right situation breaks out? I mean, they're they're in kind of a snug cap situation right now. So you do wonder that if they still want to add a guy like Logan Ryan or Vinnie Curry or make another addition for a backup quarterback who can actually play in the NFL, not David Fales. Maybe they want some more cap flexibility and maybe they make a move there. You know, with the Adams stuff, you know, if you ask me right now, what is the percentage chance that he gets traded? I would say somewhere between like 10 and 20%, which to some people might sound really high and to some people might sound low. Uh, what are your, I mean, I, I certainly would not categorize myself as being pro trading Jamal Adams. I think you want him on the team long-term and you want to find a way to make it work. And the Jets would be better ultimately for doing that. That being said, I feel like I am more conducive than most where if you're going to get back an over-the-top great package that is built around two first-round picks or a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and then another second-round pick or maybe another like top-tier player at a different position that helps Sam Darnold, yeah, I'm listening. And there might be something that could be done that ends up being uh, – useful and maybe better for how the Jets end up building themselves long-term. I still don't think it's going to happen, but it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how the draft develops and who those teams could end up being. If there's anyone besides Dallas who could be, you know, sniffing around for that. What, what are your kind of thoughts on the veteran trade situation around the Jets? I'm with you on the Jamal Adams thing. I don't want to trade Jamal Adams. I'd be willing to do it if somebody blew my socks off. And I think, two ones would obviously do that or a one and two twos, which is what Joe Douglas was supposedly asking for at the trade deadline. When teams call to inquire, 
I think the thing with Adams that you have to remember, a lot of people refer to him as a safety, and he is a safety, but really he's what Daniel Jeremiah likes to call defensive playmaker. He can do everything on the field. There's nothing that he can't excel at. And so when you have a player like that at 24 years old, you better be giving me the house or I'm not trading him. And I think the interesting thing here to watch is that even if Joe Douglas wants to trade him at some point, it doesn't have to happen right now. They've got two years of relatively cheap team control with him because they've got one year left and then that fifth-year rookie option. So they don't have to do it now. Even if they do want to trade him, they could trade him at the trade deadline. They could trade him at the end of next season. So there's no real rush on Joe Douglas's part. I suspect that unless somebody gives up some sort of crazy package and he gets traded over draft weekend, he's going to end up here and probably Joe Douglas will end up discussing some sort of contract extension. Now, where that goes from here, I couldn't tell you. But my guess all along was that Douglas was waiting until after the draft to really engage on any kind of dra- uh, any kind of contract extension with Jamal Adams. As far as the rest of the veterans, look, I'm not saying it's impossible that the Jets trade for Trent Williams, but I kind of think fans need to let that dream die. I don't see it happening. The Redskins, I still believe, are not going to take anything less than what they're supposedly asking for because they don't have to. And I know a lot of people think that the Redskins have no leverage, but it's simply not true. Trent Williams is 32 years old. He already held out last year. The Redskins can sit there and say, listen, you either come in here or you waste another year of your career and make no money. And I'm not so sure that Trent Williams is willing to do that. Is he willing to essentially forfeit the rest of his career just to sit out. I don't know that he's willing to do that. In fact, I doubt that he is. So I think the Redskins are essentially telling teams, you give us what we want, or we're going to try and force him to come in and report at training camp. And of course, remember, we are talking about Daniel Snyder here, and he's super, super stubborn. So I really don't think he's going to let a player get over on him like that. And then the rest of these guys, listen, I think, Logan Ryan's a possibility, but only if he's willing to take a relatively inexpensive one-year deal. Like if it's a one-year eight to ten million dollar deal, maybe that happens. Jason Peters to me is somebody to watch out for only if the nightmare scenario happens where the Jets don't get one of those tackles at number eleven, because I think at that point Douglas is going to have to realize that it's a suicide mission going into the season with only Fanton and Doga as your two tackles. He'd have to get some insurance. So I'd expect that a phone call would happen there. I don't think they're going to pursue Leonard Fournette, but I'll tell you, Joe, and a lot of people push back on me for this. If they could get Leonard Fournette for next to nothing, because it seems like they both desperately want to move on from each other. If you get Leonard Fournette for like a sixth-round pick, let's say that Darren Lee pick, then really, why not? I mean, they're probably going to draft a running back on day two or three anyway. Fournette's only 24 years old, and I know that he's had some injuries, but he's relatively cheap. He's not that expensive. I think $4 million. He really grew as a receiving threat last year. Seems like he's just coming into his own as a player, And worst-case scenario, he has no guaranteed money left. You get him for two years at, what, $4 million a year. You know, either he becomes a long-term replacement for Le'Veon Bell or 
you get him for two years and he moves on, but for the cost of a late sixth round pick, I don't think it would be that big of a deal. Beyond that, I don't know who you'd be looking at. Maybe Vinny Curry, like you said, if nobody comes calling him. And that's really it. I mean, as far as potential trades, there are some guys that you could see them reach out about as far as, you know, I'd have to think about some specific names, but you know how those things go. Uh, a couple of years ago, trading a seventh-round pick for Zach Stacy. Now, I'm not advocating trading a seventh-round pick for somebody like Zach Stacy. I'm just saying sometimes moves like that happen that are kind of under the radar. So you could look for something like that. But, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts in terms of Jamal Adams and the rest of the potential veteran-type trades. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see because these moves happen, and we've seen the Jets kind of dabble in this you know, across the board. Um Shifting the focus back to the first round in this group of four tackles, I've basically settled on the way they're so tightly bunched together. And I do, I do really believe mm-hmm. that the way I genuinely have generally have them ranked in my head, particularly specific to the Jets situation and what this off season is going to look like. I have basically Wills as one A, Thomas is one B, Worfs is two, and Becton mm-hmm. is three. Um, I don't know if that's the order they're going to go in. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants took Worfs at four. Uh, I'm becoming less and less optimistic that Thomas is going to be there at 11. I just think there's too many different teams who could take him. You know, Connor and I were joking on Badlands how painful it would be to watch the Giants, Dolphins, um, God, and who are the other teams? The Browns uh, with Baker Mayfield and, all, and, and the Panthers with Rule basically be the four teams who mm-hmm. take the four tackles in front of the Jets. Uh, I don't know if it's going to play out that way. I can say I'm rooting for Miami not to end up with Tua. I hope they decide to go with Herbert or Love. Um, but, you know, for those four tackles, you've done a deep dive with on each of them. How, how, do, you, how, is your, how do your final ranking shank, shake out, and is there any way you'd be really disappointed with one of the four of them? Well, I'll start by answering the second part of that question. I'd be thrilled with any of the four. I think all four are very high-character kids. The only one that has any kind of real transgression, except for the, what just happened with Makai Becton, because we don't really know the extent of what he supposedly tested positive for. For all we know, it's a supplement or something. So I can't speculate there. But beyond that, the only real transgression from any of the four guys is that after his sophomore season, Tristan Wirfs had an OWI operating while intoxicated and by all accounts, after that happened, he took it as a wake-up call and has been a model citizen ever since. You're looking at four guys that are just exceptional, and I think any of the four would be offensive tackle number one most seasons. Makai Becton is just an absolute battering ram, and he's a physical freak. The question with him, obviously, is how can you get him to his very best? And I think the reality is that you don't even necessarily have to make him super technically proficient. He's so big, strong, and athletic that if you can just get him to decent fundamentals, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. He's drawn some insanely high praise from some really, I mean, Joe Thomas called him a potentially generational talent, and I tend to agree. Now, that said, he is the riskiest because he's the furthest away from being a sure bet. I think the guy that has to be number one on the list here for me is Jedrick Wills because he has the fewest and the, the I guess you would say, the, the easiest flaws to fix. 
The only real flaws with Jedrick Wills are that he tends to have some mental lapses at times, too many pre-snap penalties, and also he took his foot off the gas sometimes against easier competition. I think those are easy things to coach out, but he's a guy that's an excellent athlete who gets overshadowed by Becton and Wirfs, but he also is very technically proficient. He's an excellent pass protector, a real mauler in the run game. The only other real question is whether or not he ever becomes a left tackle. I think he probably can be, but even if he just is a right tackle, it doesn't really bother me because Lane Johnson is a right tackle. Do you think the Eagles have buyer's remorse with him? Anytime you can get an elite tackle right or left, you'd be happy to have it. Tristan Wirfs is an interesting one. I See, I have Wills one and Wirfs two. Wirfs I have second because his upside is immense, but I also think he's closer than Becton, so he's a little less a little less risky. He's the best athlete of the bunch. He's one of the best athletes to ever come into this draft at the tackle position. Four sport star, and here's a guy that Joe Kirk Ferentz, who made his bones as an offensive line coach and who's been the head coach at Iowa for 20 years. He's never, ever had a true freshman as a starting offensive tackle, or I should say he never did until Tristan Wirfs showed up. So that tells you how gifted he is. And then Andrew Thomas, he's like the forgotten man, right? Going into the season, everybody was talking about Andrew Thomas. Most of the season, everybody was talking about Andrew Thomas. In fact, the joke, Joe, you remember when the Jets were 1-7 and seven was, are they going to take Chase Young or Andrew Thomas? Well, Andrew Thomas then sort of slid, and he kind of became the forgotten guy. The thing about him that I wonder about is that his pass protection skills are are probably going to be fairly limited just because his feet are a little bit slow. And I I don't know that, that he has the ability to, to beat the, uh, the big time speed rushers, but he's kind of that old reliable. I, I think Connor hit the nail on the head. I think he called him a Honda civic or something like that, where you can get 200,000 miles on him. I would rank it overall Wills one, Worfs two, Beckton three, and uh, Thomas four. But I, you know, they're so close together that I could be convinced in favor of any of the four, really. And I wouldn't be disappointed in any. I think all four of them would be day one starters, even Beckton. Uh, I think the, the floor with Beckton has been overstated a little bit. I don't think that his floor is so bad that he'll be out of the league in two years or something like that. I think his floor is he'll be okay. Like maybe he'll be like Kelvin Beecham, which is not what you want at number 11, but it's not the bust to end all busts. So I I would be thrilled with any of the four. Those are my rankings, but you could talk me into any combination. And I think that's the interesting thing about this, Joe, is that no matter who you talk to, coaches, scouts, executives, reporters, draft analysts, fans, they almost all have some sort of different ranking on the order of these four guys. So, yeah, I think the Jets would be lucky to have any of the four, to be honest with you. And if they land one of them at 11, I'll be thrilled. I also, like I said, would not be willing to risk not getting one of the four. So I would try to put together some sort of contingency plan where I I have a deal in place to jump to, say, number nine or something if I need to. But, yeah, that, that's more or less my takeaway. They're all great kids. They're all really good at what they do. I think they're all likely to be long-term solutions at one of the tackle spots, and I think the Jets would be very smart to grab one of them if one of them is available. 
Yeah, this is one of those years. I feel like every year we spend so much time talking about the Jets trading down that it never happens. This is one of the years, like, if they need to jump a couple spots to go get Wills, I think you do it. I think that's mm-hmm. a guy who comes in day one, is your best tackle by a wide margin, is an above-average starter as a rookie, and then is potentially a long-term cornerstone for you in a similar way to Brickershaw Ferguson. And I think you can't put uh, – you know, a price on the value of that, particularly for this offense. And if it costs you, you know, some day two collateral this year or next year, I think that's okay because I think this class is deep enough at receiver in the middle rounds where you could still address it. I mean, look, uh, you know, a perfect world for me is they get one of the four tackles uh, with the first pick without having to move. In a perfect, perfect world, that's Wills or Thomas. In the second round, you know, I love Pittman at 48. I think he's a day one guy who's ready, still has some growth uh, to his game. But I like Ragor. I like um, a lot of the other mid-round guys. And I don't think there's a shortage of guys that I'm interested in seeing them take swings on. Maybe even a guy like Brian Edwards in the third round. I think as long as you're addressing receiver, I also want them to continue to look at interior offensive line, because I think there's guys you can find on day two who can really be starters at this level. And the jets are not, they are far from set on the interior offensive line. I know we're all excited about Connor McGovern. And I think he will be a good center one, you know, a, a top half of the league center, definitely. But at guard, they have nothing that is proven or durable and they should add more talent. Um, to that group, and if there, I would have no problem at all with the Jets' first four picks being two O linemen uh, and two receivers. If it, again, if the board ends up breaking that way, go with it. I do. I think one of those first four picks are going to be a corner, probably. Do I think that their current four picks are going to hold? No, I think they're going to move around a little bit uh, in both rounds, but. Uh, I don't want them to forget about interior offensive line, and I'm keeping my again my fingers crossed in the first round. So. As it stands now, what is your final mock prediction for what the Jets end up with? Not what you want, what they end up with at 11 and 48. Well, I will say this, Joe, to your point about interior offensive line, not that I expect this to happen, but I've said this many times. My dream scenario here would be that the Jets get one of the four tackles at number 11, and then at 48, somehow Caesar Ruiz from Michigan falls down to them because I think if you get Ruiz in one of those four tackles, you've now got two guys that can be cornerstones of this offensive line for the next decade. I love what Jordan Reed from the Draft Network said when he came on the show. He called Ruiz a sandbox bully. And he also said this, and I've been saying this myself too, not to say that he's as good as Nick Mangold, but he's the kind of attitude changer that Nick Mangold was when he came in here. So I think if you were able to add Ruiz and one of the other four guys, that would be absolutely phenomenal. That said, like you said before, I have to give you a prediction in terms of what they're going to do, not what I hope they're going to do. So at 11, man, this is tough. I think one of the tackles makes it there. I think they're going to get one of them. I'm not going to predict which one because it's just too hard to do that. At 48, See, this is the interesting thing. I could see them going receiver, but I could also see them going corner if one of those corners falls. If you see somebody like Trevon Diggs or Jalen Johnson, who I'm a huge fan of, or Terrell Lewis from, uh, uh, excuse me, AJ Terrell from Clemson, if one of those guys falls to that spot of 48, I think there's a pretty solid chance that Joe Douglas would make that move because. As we've talked about, there are so many receivers. You could get two of them in the third round. You could get one in the third, one in the fourth, whatever combination. I do think they're going to double up. 
but I think that at 48, I can't give you like an, a name, but what I would say is if one of those corners is available, that will probably be the pick. If not, then they'll probably take whichever receiver they like the best. And that's just going to depend on who's on the board. It could be somebody like Regor. It could be Pittman. It could be Brandon Ayuk. It really, Rilovitska Chenault. It just completely depends on who's there and who they like. But that's my, my prediction is unless somebody like Cesar Ruiz falls, they're going to probably be picking either a corner or a wide receiver at 48. I think that sounds about right. I'm going to make my final mock and predictions in my annual round one draft guide, which will be on turnonthejets.com. I will be back on this feed Thursday night or Friday morning with reaction to Thursday, Saturday morning with reaction to Friday, Sunday morning with reaction uh, to Saturday, and then uh, further badlands next week at turnonthejets.podbean.com. Scott, I know you're going to have a ton of content over on the Play Like a Jet feed, and you could also follow Scott on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1 to follow everything. We have made it to the NFL Draft. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Excited to tweet an incessant amount this weekend and get some reaction out on all these picks. And uh, we will be back on this feed later this week to react to round one.